Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Talk Recorded live. Welcome to the Colton Collective Podcast. Here are your hosts, Dave AC and The Sixth Doctor. And uh, Merry Christmas to everybody, and Happy Holidays, or whatever you have to celebrate. Um, yes, it's all been gone and done now. Uh, we've got the New Year's coming up. Uh, but first of all, it's uh, time for us to gather around the old burnt-out Yule log and uh, talk about the uh, Doctor Who Christmas special. But first, it's our very own Santa Claus. That's just because of his age. It's Mr. Dave AC. Uh, is there anything on my head, Ian? <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's my headphones. It's my headset. Yeah, there you go. Hi. Say, say, save me from a from a dirty comment. But you know, <laughs> let's see if anybody else in the room has anything on their head. <laughs> Joining us, Hot Audio. Rick Wall is here. Hello, sir. No, I don't have any antlers. No, really. <laughs> Those are your ears. Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, hello. Hello, hello, hello. Glad you could make it. I hope you had a, a good Christmas season or holiday season. Yeah, it wasn't bad. Um, um, yes, I as much as as I was telling Dave, as much as I proclaim myself being a Wiccan or pagan, uh, I do celebrate Christmas with the family. So. Um, <laughs> We all got together Christmas Eve, and Christmas Day was kind of boring. I was the only one here. Everybody went everywhere else. So, <laughs> But it was all right. Uh, that's happened to me. Everybody says, let's go have a game of hide and seek, and I'm left there with my hands over my face, and then they don't come back. <laughs> <laughs> happens to you a lot, doesn't it, Dave? It does. <laughs> All right, let's see who else is on audio. Ah, it's the uncaffeinated Darth Skeptical. It's very true. So how could there be anything on my mind whatsoever? Because I can't think clearly at this juncture. <laughs> Somebody get him a, a Mountain Dew. <laughs> Stat. <laughs> Feed the man caffeine. <laughs> yes. Yes, the unpercolated Darth Skeptical. Well, I don't know if I'd go that far. I mean, there's some perk in my step, if you know what I mean. <laughs> That's because he's been to see Star Wars another six times since we recorded that last special. I could have been given a gift of Viagra. You don't know. <laughs> That's what they call in, is that what they call instant coffee nowadays? I knew you were hard up. in my world. 
You're ready for that. Four, you're ready for that four-hour podcast. <laughs> the accuracy and entendre accepted. But um, tish. All right. Well, lastly, and by no means leastly, Mr. Cuddly Ken is here. Oh, I don't know. Maybe it's, maybe it's Kylo Ken. Um, Kylo Ken. Yeah. Doing really good. Happy holidays, everybody. Happy holidays, huh? I had a great Christmas. I'm one with the force now. Yay. 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 We just need Rick and, and, and Dave to become one with the force. Yes, yes. Then we can talk openly. Yes, it's true. I bet you're saving up for a hover conveyance now, are you, Ken? <laughs> oh, dear. Anyway, that's uh, everybody that's on audio. Let's check and see who's hiding out under the cone. Controls, new agent training program, section 3.5, the cone of silence. To activate, simply lower the cone and speak clearly. What? Do not overuse the cone of silence. What? Do not shout in the cone of silence. What? In fact, don't even use the cone of silence. What? It's never worked right. I don't know why we bought it in the first place. The portable cone of silence. What? And joining us under the cone, Mad Hal is here. Guest 5 is joining us. And wearing a Santa's hat, it's Cybob. Hello, sir. I'm glad you could make it. It's not a show without Cybob. Yeah, it's we, not we a show need to give Mad it. Hal either. We what? need to what? give Cybob an attendance badge, I think. Uh, I think we do. Yeah. Excellent. Excellent. Yes, yes. All right. Uh, there's only one more person to introduce, and that's the Typing Monkey, which means it's news time. Go, Typing Monkey, go, go, go. It's Speed Racer, too. Yeah. All right, first up with news, it's Mr. Dave Cooper. Yes. Well, let's get the, the sad news out of the way for those people that uh, are familiar with uh, this particular writer, George Clayton Johnson, um, uh, from 1929, uh, died, unfortunately, sadly, on Christmas Day. American science fiction writer, most famously for co-writing the novel Logan's Run with William F. Nolan, uh, the basis for the MGM film from 1976. Uh, this is from his wiki page. Also known for his television scripts of The Twilight Zone, uh, including, and maybe Rickwall will want to mention it, a couple of Rickwall's favourites, but including Nothing in the Dark, Kick the Can, A Game of Pool, uh, Penny for Your Thoughts. Uh, remember, both Rick and I uh, were on Talking Twilight Zone. And you can find that very show somewhere on uh, TalkShoe. I may even find it if uh, if Rick just wants to take a moment and mention uh, a little bit about uh, this person from from Twilight Zone. All right. Um, he also wrote um, the first uh, Star Trek, um, which was um, the pilot. Um, Mantrap. Mantrap, yes. Thank you. I forgot the title. Uh, um, so, um, yeah, if you're not a Twilight Zone fan, you know him in, in Star Trek. And he did a few other um, 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 sci-fi things, if I'm not mistaken, also. And like Dave said, a uh, couple of my favorite uh, Twilight Zones, um, um a little A-game pool and uh, kick the can. Uh, um. Yeah, they're 
from 1961 and 1962. And um, if you want to hear more about uh, Twilight Zone, the, the classic Twilight Zone, uh, look out on Torchview for call ID double, uh, 68228. Um, and there are 155 episodes there with Lynn and Bobby and others that... Uh, Rick and I uh, contribute, yeah, contributed yeah. to. So that's Talking Twilight Zone. Uh, you'll find it on iTunes as well. And as I say, this book, uh, Four of Us Are Dying, The Execution, Prime Mover, Penny for Your Thoughts, Game of Pool, Nothing in the Dark, Kick the Can, 90 Years Without Slumbering. A couple of them with, uh, you know, uh, other people as well helping out. Great one. Um, I um, love the uh, game of pool. Jack, one of Jack Klugman's best performances. Yeah, yeah, indeed. And uh, of course, uh, there's been other Logan runs. Of a, there was a Logan's Run TV series as well, but this was from the actual uh, original. Uh, Michael York playing the the lead character and Jenny Agata uh, in it, and um, and uh, a very famous man playing the. Uh, the uh, gentleman with cats, Peter Ustinov, uh, was in it. So, uh, very, very good film uh, indeed. So that's the sad news out of the way. Um, the other news is really just uh, things to look at. A little bit of uh, Dave AC recommends uh, here in the UK. If you were able to either catch from the BBC iPlayer, remember BBC iPlayer, if not now internationally, is going more and more. Uh, subscription and uh, fee paying based in the future but look out there's um, a new um, uh, adaption of uh, Agatha Christie's and then there were none a three part uh, drama uh, part two is on tonight here on BBC one and part three final part tomorrow Um, it's got um, some actors in you'll know uh, indeed including um, Aidan I said his name a minute ago Ian Turner yeah, Aidan Turner from uh, from um, Being Human, and uh, of course uh, known to many women in the land as Poldark. And also, he was in uh, Hobbit. And Hobbit, it's got uh, Charles Dance in it, and it's got. Um, let me see. It's got. Oh, turn over the page, David. It helps. <laughs> um, it's got Anna Maxwell Martin. Um, who was in the Bletchley Circle most recently, but she's been in a lot of brilliant stuff. Uh, Miranda Richardson and Maeve uh, Dermale as well. So that's a, a good uh, thing to look out for. And um, one more thing to just mention, and that is BBC Four today here in the UK. They're doing a live... Um, I might just have to mute one second. You might have to mute, yes. Um it's, it's, it's all right. It's all right. It's all right. It's the son's got that out of the way. Thank you for that. Um, yeah, it's oh, is, um, we were Peter Davidson. That, you know. <laughs> Peter Davidson and Imelda Thornton in a um, a televised live showing of Gypsy, a musical on stage, uh, Stephen Sondheim musical production, and um, they're showing that tonight on BBC Four. Uh, two hours, 20 minutes, but with Peter Davidson in it, uh, who's, of course, been in Spam a lot. So he's uh, been on the musical stage before. That's something. And I apologise for my couple of missteps there. I think the anklers are putting me off balance a little bit, Ian. Sorry. Ah, uh, I see. I see. Uh, but that's uh, all the news I've got. All right. 
Next up with news, it's Mr. Joe Skeptical. Uh, just a little roundup of uh, some box office scores here for Star Wars The Force Awakens. If you've not been uh, tracking this particular aspect of the movie, uh, it's fairly phenomenal, the number of records that have been falling its way. Um, it is, you know, no surprise to say that it's the number one movie in North America right now. Uh, but it's also the number one movie around the world, maybe not in every single market, but you know, as an average. Um, it, it estimated we don't have great figures because of the Christmas holidays here. We still don't have figures that are final for anything from Christmas Eve until today. But doing projections or whatever, they're already saying that it's hit a billion dollars worldwide, um, and it currently. Th- it's really the speed of the uh, money piling up that's sort of just phenomenal. It's the fastest to 100 million, 150 million, 200 million, 250 million, 300, 350, 400, 450, and 500 million. And one expects that it will also be the fastest to 1 billion as well. It's just ridiculous how, how much money, how the speed with which this thing is making money. Um, you know, I guess the thing that people want to make sure happens, or at least people that would likely be listening to this show, is that uh, Star Wars bumps off Titanic finally. Uh, maybe some people would also be interested in it bumping off Avatar. Um, it probably will do that, but this weekend, if the projections are correct, this weekend has been a little bit slower than... Um, maybe was expected. So the drop-off from the first weekend to second weekend has been a little more severe than m- might have been suspected. But the thing is, the likelihood is, um, because of the soft next quarter, um, that movie theaters are going to keep this thing around for a while. So it, it definitely still has the potential to bump off uh, the rest of its competitors and become the number one movie of all time. Now, of course, that's not adjusted, you know, in terms of inflation adjustment. Uh, it probably won't be Star Wars, the original, like Episode Four. Um, but Episodes Four number, Episode Four's number, and indeed all of four or five, actually all the films so far have their numbers fragmented into different parts, right? So instead of just saying all of the releases of episode four are uh, amalgamated into one number, they're actually split up into several. And so you've got like the 1982 release, which happened right before um, Return of the Jedi came back in the theaters. You had a re-release of episode four and episode five. Those numbers are actually quite impressive, um, but they don't get counted as a part of episode four and episode five's original numbers. And what's maybe more crucial is the 1997 special edition re-releases, which, you know, for as much trouble as those things have cost, still brought in over $200 million, actually really close to $300 million for each of the films. So another, that's another billion dollars, more or less, for um, Lucasfilm, just for making some tweaks here and there. Um, and those numbers are not a part of Star Wars's, you know, the original trilogy's original numbers. So it's a little, you, you'd have to do some math to really add up the total impact of each one of the uh, episodes. But 
it still looks like Star Wars The Force Awakens is, uh, certainly in unadjusted numbers, it's already the number one Star Wars movie domestically. Um, if I can interject yeah. here a second. Uh, I don't know, but I thought I read something about it breaking records in Asia. Oh yeah, but that impact has not been totally felt yet because it's not. Uh, I don't think yet. I think it gets released in China on like the ninth of January or something like that. And Disney has a separate marketing campaign that is China specific. Oh, okay. Uh, where they where they really tied. It's, this is impressive stuff, actually. You can go on StarWars.com and see a part of the China campaign. They partnered with some. Um, well, really, I guess the the number one pop star, the sort of like Justin Bieber, I guess, of China, um, to make specialized Force Awakens trailers, which are really kind of cool to watch. It's basically sort of him cosplaying as as a Jedi, um, but in a sort of you know pop music sort of way. Um, so it, that whole campaign is going to be fascinating to look at, which is why you know the, what's interesting right now. Is or what a lot of people are paying attention to Disney specifically is they want to bump off Jurassic World, right? Because Jurassic World is so far the number one movie of 2015. Um, and if you look at Jurassic World's numbers as of this moment, they have like a 60-30 split. Uh, well, I guess it'd be 65-35 split in favor of global returns. Um, and Right now, Force Awakens has an interesting, a fascinating, almost exact 50-50 split between um, domestic and foreign. And the thing is, it's not even hit China yet. Um, okay. and so, so they're not going to count it till they get the China info? Uh, I would think not. Um, but, you know, I mean, I don't know. I don't specifically know uh, what its rank is in, say... Uh, Japan, where it definitely has been released in Japan, and it's you know it's made like whatever thirty one million there. Um, I don't I don't know how good that is to be honest with you for right. Japan, um, but it, it definitely has had an impact in some of Asia, um, but but certainly like South Korea is eighteen eight, which is nothing to sneeze at, um, given the population there, you know. But, you know, just for comparison, an interesting comparison may be, um, it's not Asia, but in the U.K., it's made almost $100 million just in the U.K., which is crazy, given the size of the U.K. market. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, So, I mean, yeah, exactly. So there's a lot of good stuff that's um, going on domestically. I mean, going on internationally, it's just, it's, we're a lot closer to the, I don't know what you call it. We're not really close to the end of the run in the U.S., but we've got um, a lot of solid numbers already in the U.S. that haven't yet been replicated all the way around the world. So that's why I think you're seeing this 50-50 split. I don't don't think that the movie is playing as, hmm, I don't know if this is the right word, as poorly overseas as a 50-50 split indicates, because that's still $550 million overseas in the space of, in some cases, less than a week. So, I mean, the numbers here are just 
they're staggering. There's if you go to uh, like all these stats by the way are coming from BoxOfficeMojo.com, which is a good little site that I like to go to. But there's you read the write-ups from Box Office Mojo, and these are guys who like do nothing but statistically analyze, you know, every single movie that comes out, and they just they don't have any words to express what's going on here. Like they don't have other. They they keep trying to characterize this film versus other films, and nothing completely satisfies what's going on with it. Right? It is it is a unique creature. Um, so that to me that's exciting that it, it and it really does sort of prove the hype of Star Wars being back. I mean that's what you read in a lot of different reviews. In fact, a number of high profile reviews just start out with those words: "Star Wars is back." Um, and and to see these numbers, you have to believe that because they're they're not even on the same scale as any other Star Wars movie, much less you know other movies that are out there. I mean, Avatar is sort of close, but Avatar was you know different for a number of things. I mean, the, we don't have any precedents for really a Star Wars movie at Christmas when Christmas is on a Friday as well. I mean, let's not forget that. A lot of people are therefore getting you know a three-day weekend at least um, when they wouldn't get that in other years. Necessarily, I mean, start if Christmas is on a Monday, a lot of people are screwed, right? They just, you know, they, they get a three day weekend. I guess on the, you know, in a weird way where the three day weekend ends on Monday, but that's not satisfying, you know. This is this is like the perfect storm kind of, and it it is quite the storm for Disney. So it's you know you got to think with these numbers, they're already at a hundred million. The pro, I mean, they're already a hundred. What am I trying to say? A thousand million. They're already at a billion. Um, you, you, you got to believe this thing is going to make at least two billion. You would think, um, even if it falls off this pace significantly, it could still do easily two billion. And then you know you add in the merchandising, and that four billion that they paid for Lucasfilm suddenly it seems like not that much money. You know, so I'm impressed. I think this is great, and uh, you know I I can tell you right now I'm a sucker for it, and I, the amount of uh, additional stuff that I have bought as a result of this, you know, like the audio book, because the novelization isn't printed until January. So I got the audio book of the novelization, which is fantastic, by the way, and gives you a lot more detail and is apparently canon. Um, that's great. Shattered Empire comic book, which gives you some more information as to um, especially who Poe Darren is, you know, one of the characters that's in Force Awakens but frames it against the backdrop of events that we know from previous movies. Lots of good stuff that's out there. There's, there's at least three or four comic books that are now already collected that you can buy on whether you want a physical copy or whether you want to get it on your uh, iDevice. Lots of... And that's before we're even talking about toys or, God help me, branded oranges... The uh, yeah, I'm, my, no, not this oranges. They are, of course, um, BB-8 oranges. Oh, of course. Which mm. makes some sense, you know. So, you know, Disney is literally controlling nature at this point, <laughs> which means which means that I suppose the force is actually strong with them because that's what you do with the force. Um, 
But just I mean, it, it's fascinating. The numbers are fascinating in this, I mean, especially I if you the, own Disney stock. Yeah, I read a UK article. Uh, I can't find it. I was looking while you were talking. I put the links mm. into the Mojo one that you were talking about, Box Office Mojo. Mm. Um, mm-hmm. But not just now, but in the past, uh, that Star Wars saved Lego. Lego was about to go under before the original Star Wars Lego came. Oh out. yeah, and and really, it's become their biggest biggest uh, franchise, really. Seller. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I mean, that's why you get, I don't know if you got this on, well, you don't know yet, because you've not been, Dave, but um, on the front side of most viewings that I've seen of uh, Force Awakens, there's this big Lego commercial. Yeah. Right? Like a Lego Star Wars sort of okay, tie-in no, no, thing. Okay, now i got to go see it. <laughs> yeah, and I mean, you know, in, in some theaters that I've been into, um, there's actually... A Lego. I don't know what to put it. You know, you know. Okay, so you know, you go up to like the um, a diorama uh, thing. Yeah, a yeah, you go up to the concession stand, and instead of using their little cases for you know showing off raisinets or whatever, they've taken all that crap out of there because that's all low value, and they've put in you know various Lego uh, things that you can buy directly at the theater. It's crazy. <laughs> Uh, which I think, you know, I think that's exciting. So. Guys, I have a question on something. It's sad kind of, Paul, about your comment about the Disney stock. Do you have Disney stock? Oh, yeah. Okay. Now it took a little hit. Oh, a little hit. It's been horrible. I mean, I, I've lost like mm-hmm. three quarters of my profit. I'm, I'm hoping it's going to bounce back like mad. Uh, I'm thinking, oh. and, and in talking to Rick, that it's the ESPN thing. That's hurting yeah, the stock yeah. because why? Why would a film that is doing so phenomenal and all the tie-ins phenomenal, every single thing that's connected with Star Wars has dropped horribly on the market, in, including IMAX, including Hasbro, including all of this. When my assumption, I'm sure everyone's, was, boy, it's going to be a great weekend. When is this stock going to perhaps split? Because Star Wars is coming, not not to mention Marvel and all of the other goodies associated with Disney. Was also, um, 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 can I also forgot to mention year-end um, um, profit uh, taking? Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. But I mean, I'm, yeah. I'm 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 praying it's going to turn around. Of course, personal. Oh, it will. Yeah. But but it's but it is just I have not. Phantom Menace was was, was a big vibe the first weekend. But I have not felt this since the first film came out. This kind of celebratory attitude, general happiness, and kind of um, elation about a movie being out. You know. Certainly, I mean, if... Go on, Dad. Go on, Dad. Oh, no, I... Sorry, I was thrown off by I was thrown off by the your telephone ringing there. And yeah. wondering. No, it wasn't mine. I thought it was yours. <laughs> oh no! Go ahead. I'm sorry, Dave. I, I was just saying, yeah, maybe things like Lego and these other spin-offs from Star Wars are not doing so well because people are going to see repeat viewings and spending a hundred dollars going to see the film about eight times. And uh, by the way, I put. In I don't know what you mean. I don't know what you mean. <laughs> I, I slightly put a, a, a tongue-in-cheek comment in. Do they sell a Star Wars coffee maker yet? I've 
They probably do. I probably just uh, panicked and, and bought a high-quality item instead of something that happened to have a logo on it. Um, uh, yeah, I don't know. Uh, I don't know. Uh, but, I mean, I wouldn't, you know, the stuff about various stocks dropping uh, it seems counterintuitive. It was, it's not counterintuitive. It's the fact that you've never had a launch at Christmas. And that's, I think it is is explicitly really what, what Rick is talking about. It's just end of the year. You know, you want to take your, you want to take your profits to offset, your, you know, so that you can do your taxes, you know. It's it's as simple as that. Um there's nothing, and and Rick is right. It has something to do with what's going on with the ESPN stuff too. At least the Disney stock, yeah. Because little known fact, you know, and all the, well, not little known, but I suppose hidden fact if you don't really follow Disney or whatever. But the, in all of the the television holdings that Disney acquired, you know, in sort of late Eisner, early Iger period. Well, really more late Eisner. Um, the, the thing that the best for them was ESPN by far. You know, uh, they've only just now been able to figure out a a profit model for doing like ABC Studios shows. Not just now, but like within the last few years, they've really hit upon some some high quality shows out of their ABC Studios franchise. So, um, the, the one thing that was always just more or less pure profit, kind of, uh, was ESPN. And any troubles there sort of reflect badly upon the television um, franchise. I think if you listen to, uh, well, before he died, if you listen to Roy E. Disney, the nephew of Walt Disney, son of Roy O., uh, he would tell you uh, in the later part of his life, after they'd gotten ESPN, he was like, you know, what's funny is nobody ever expected, after we got ABC and all that, that what would actually be giving us money to do animation was ESPN because it just a you, you wouldn't think that, but that's what it is. ESPN is a major profit center for them, so any disturbances in the force over there are sort of, you know, uh, <laughs> difficult for them. And, and it's good that the actual you know force center for them is turning a profit to sort of equalize that out. But I think you'll see in the first quarter, you know. Disney's going to pop right back up, and not even—it's not even going to take that long because really the markets haven't had that much time to react to uh, the long-lived success or the apparent legs that this movie has. Because you know the markets closed before you, you got any data on the second weekend, and the second weekend is the thing you're really looking at. Um, so it'll come back, I would think. Okay. Yeah. All right. Thank you very much, Doc. Um, if uh, you want to hear more about Star Wars The Force Awakens, uh, you can join myself, uh, Barry G, and of course, about our very own Dark Skeptical um, on our previous episode where we talked uh, openly and honestly about Star Wars The Force Awakens. So uh, I don't even know how you tell them what episode number that is, Dave. Uh, well, it was recorded on the uh, 22nd of December. Uh, it's um, yeah. It's the most recent episode... It's between episode 303 and today's episode 304. There you go. That's the easy way to do it. So, yeah, uh, if you want to hear what we thought about uh, Star Wars The Force Awakens, that's how you do it. All right. Um, and if you want to become part of the Cult Collective, here's how you do that. If you enjoy listening, why not join the Collective and participate yourself? 
We're on TalkShoe. Call ID 54821. Call in on 724-444-7444. This is a US number, area code 724, so do check your calling plan before dialing in. If you have a SIP client, you can call in for free on 66.212.134.192. Or you can connect in directly via the Shoe phone client if you have TalkShoe Live installed. Looking forward to hearing you. got a personal favor of everybody in the room and of course if you're listening later and uh, want to comment on uh, the Colton Collective Facebook page feel free to do that too um, as a Christmas present I was given uh, Avengers Age of Ultron the Blu-ray just the Blu-ray bare bones Blu-ray thinking of returning it uh, so I can get the 3D Blu-ray and uh, DVD and digital copy um, but I really want to watch it now, but I also want the... the I, I mainly want the digital copy. So, uh, raise of hands, who would send it back? That's that me. Oh, you mean if they had the choice between the two versions, you mean? Yeah. If you got the Blu-ray copy, would you, would you, would you return it and, and, and get the, the one with the digital copy? Well, let me ask you this. Do you participate in Disney Movie Rewards? Kind of. Well, if you do, I mean, the 3D thing is worth more points. Ah. And and I, well, yeah, yeah, it's worth, all, all, if you ever have a choice and you can afford the difference, hmm. you get um, at least 50 more points. Maybe it's mentioned 100. Oh, okay. Uh, I mean, the other thing is, don't you have a TV that does 3D? No. Oh, but your eyes don't like do it. Oh, yeah, yeah. I, my eyes don't right. do it. You can't. Hmm. I only want it basically so I can have the, the, a Blu-ray copy plus the, the digital copy, so that means I can watch it wherever I'm at, you know. Yeah. What you, what you should do is wait and save up and get the entire uh, Marvel Universe, um, Smack Universe second series box set mm. with the orb and everything and the extra... Disc and wait till that maybe comes down in price mm. because yeah, you're getting every, everything, including Ant Man. Yeah, do what the, do what Ken just said. That sounds yeah. interesting. Yeah. Because because I because they they dropped it down on Amazon. The the first one that's normally like 198. It was 117 oh, wow. before Christmas. So I'm betting that after a time they may. Discount that. The second set, yeah. Yeah. Okay, okay. So that's that's just a thought on something that they, you know, because yeah. with, with the first one you 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 get the tesseract, right, and all the shield things and goodies in a briefcase, and this one you get the orb from Guardians with mm. the uh, Infinity Stone, right, and glows and everything, so. If you want, Ooh, if you want the chat, closing. Yeah, glows. You should say it glows. It's Rudolph's. <laughs> really thankful. Yeah, that's what this nose is made out of. It's an infinity stone. Yes. Watch out for Thanos. <laughs> He's coming for Rudolph. Oh no! All right. Well, thank you. Well, I mean, see, that. but here's 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 another thing to consider. Do you already have Iron Man three? Yes. Do you already okay? Do you already have Thor: The Dark World? No. Do you already have Captain America the Winter Soldier? No. 
Do you already have Guardians of the Galaxy? Yes. Okay, at that point, you have two of the things that are in Phase 2. And to me, Phase 2 is therefore no longer an option unless you... I mean, economically, it's not an option. Um, It might be for the swag that they're talking about, you know, the glowing whatever thing, but... You already got two out I'll, ta- I'll take the doubles off you, Ian. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And you also get Ant. Find- you also get Ant Man too. You, know. you also get Ant Man in there too. But if you, yeah. So this one, seen, two, I haven't seen that. Uh, I've seen Thor: Dark World, but I I didn't buy it. I just rented it just to see it. Um, yeah, you already own a third of it. In other words. Well, but I guess if you return, wait a minute. If you return this disc <laughs> of yeah. Avenger, then you are then you only own the sixth of it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it's 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 one hundred seventy nine ninety nine on Amazon Prime. To let you know, right now it is. Right. Okay. So maybe return Avengers for the moment. And there's another. Uh, the extra disc has all the mini movies and some deleted. Stuff mm. not on the others, I think. Mm. As, as intrinsic to the set. Right. But I will say, you know, get thee to an Ant Man quickly. That's actually pretty <laughs> yeah. good. good movie. And, and yeah. an Henry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's really good, actually. Yeah, I mean, mm. that, yeah, I do want to see that. My son's now an Ant Man t shirt, so I have to see it. So, because people will say, did you see Ant-Man? And I'll say no. And then say, well, while you're once you're somewhere in your shirt, like I'll just look foolish. So that's a good way of getting to see Ant-Man. Yeah, yeah it's quite a funny movie. My wife that that will look foolish going out in public. I think you have to buy mm. this geek stuff in. I mean, buying a washing machine and a dryer. I mean, that's so so sensible. You'll have to buy some good stuff. I know. We have to find something to offset it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I did get my I did get my Christmas bonus from my boss, which was a hundred dollars. So, oh, that's good. Yeah. Well, not sci-fi, but a friend of mine who was in Southeast Asia uh, um, a few months ago, and I have to get together with him. He says he has some stuff for me from Ekawat. I'm going. Yeah, right. It's a shirt, a t-shirt thing. My friend went to Ekawat. All I got was this lousy t-shirt. <laughs> there you go. All right. Well, yeah, I didn't mean to to, to waylay our show that much, but uh, thank you very much for the advice, folks. Um, I will definitely look into that now. I wonder. I wonder how many Disney points you get for getting the the, the whole shebang. Uh, they don't. They don't do it that way. With, with the with the collection things, they don't give you credit for that. They just give you credit for the individual movies. But you get credit for the individual movies that are inside the, the box set, right? Right. Uh, but you do get credit for them as Blu-rays, which is better credit than DVDs. And Oh, but see, that's, that's the thing. I'm not sure that... Oh, I, this might be a sticking point. The Cinematic Universe Phase 2 stuff is just Blu-ray. Right. It's not Blu-ray 3D. Right. Um, and it stuck on, so if it gets me more points, and. And and does it come with digital copies? You know, See that feel, it's not I can feel it's not clear. Stop going up as we talk. <laughs> um, it. Oh, I lied to you. It does say plus Blu-ray, 3D, Blu-ray, and digital copies of all 
Oh, they used to be felt. Okay. And you get different packaging. It's not it's not a bad deal, uh, mm-hmm. but you know it, I think it does depend on what you've already got. Because I don't think well I don't know. I'm, I, see, I'm I'm currently in a little dispute with Disney right now because they are they're not honoring all of my tickets to Star Wars because once they once they detect that you've claimed for a thing they don't let you reclaim and I don't know if they'll let you like reclaim for your other copy of. Um, what did you say you had? Um, Iron Man uh, 3? Iron Man 3, yeah. Yeah, like, uh, will they and let Guardians you claim two... And Guardians of the Galaxy. Oh, that's right, you do actually own three. Yeah, okay. Yeah, it is not economical to do this, but it's fun. Um, I don't know if they'll let you claim Iron Man 3 and Guardians of the Galaxy again. I don't know. Right. Interesting. Yep. All right. Well, that's enough of me waylaying the show. <laughs> Thank you guys for all your advice, and uh, I'll let you know what happens. <laughs> so I now turn the show over to our very capable Mr. Dave Cooper. Okay, so yeah, the 40-minute mark, let's get on. We'll be talking <laughs> about uh, the climax of uh, Series 9, the end of 2015, broadcast on Christmas Day, and maybe the day after in some countries, the uh, Husbands of Rhythm Song, 60-minute Christmas special, so we will be talking spoilers, not least of which will be a few little clips I'll play along the way. And um, since we didn't uh, have... um, I don't think we had uh, Ken on last time. I don't know whether Ken is feeling uh, up to going first, um, but um, uh, if he uh, can put in... In the meantime, I'll speak very quickly. If he doesn't want to, I'll go straight to the first clip. Can I help you? Yes, are you the surgeon? Close enough, why? Well, you know. I don't know. There's a medical emergency. Well, they'll be singing. No. Fine, then. We weren't sure where you'd come down. Sorry? In your capsule. Oh, I'm never sure. I don't like being sure about things. One minute you're sure, the next everybody turns into lizards and a piano falls on you. Piano? It's been a long day. Are you expecting a surgeon? So what's the medical emergency? Didn't you read the agreement? There it is. Come on. Well, you took your time. Sorry, Mum. This is him. This is the surgeon. Hello. You don't look much like your pictures. Well, that's an ongoing problem for me. Doesn't look very impressive, does he? Nardole, what have you brought to my doorstep? I've had a haircut. This is my best suit. Not even a suit. Do I know you? You most certainly do not. And now that you've met me, you'll do your very best to forget me. Riva! Oi! Dr. Song to you. And it's Mr. Ken to me. Good we Ken. Yes. Ken, are you willing to go, please? It'd be great. All righty. Well, I'll take an extra big piece of wedding cake for uh, River Song's husbands. Uh it was a really great episode after all the very sad business of the past three. Screwball comedy. I don't think I've ever seen an episode of Doctor Who that had this kind of repartee done so well. It was like a Cary Grant movie. Um, totally insane plots. You know, headless king, mass murderer, uh, eat your bones. 
really hilariously funny lines and a couple of just priceless things in it. Well, the, the thing that made it so amazing that was kind of like the icing on the cake, it starts out as one thing, totally insane, fun. Um, I could even imagine John Cleese uh, playing the Headless King in that. I mean, I, I felt the Monty Python uh, uh, and uh, Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy vibe in this episode. And I love that. I mean, I, you don't have it all the time, but but it was, it was just great. And then we get the sea change, and it gets the kind of jealous, uncertain doctor going, what's going on with a river not knowing me? And that kind of changes into just aspects of the relationship and their final date, you know, before she goes to the library. And there, there are two moments that I just think were just, you know, worth the price of admission, so to speak. The doctor going into the TARDIS saying, I've always wanted to do this. And it's bigger on the inside. Oh, my stars and garters. Oh, I've never seen such a thing. It defies the laws of physics. And then he turns right to the camera because I've always wanted to do that. You know, great, wonderful, insane moment. And I felt more romantic heat and charisma with the two of them that I felt ever with Matt Smith and and, and River character um i when she is talking that the doctor wouldn't save me wouldn't be here and he's just looking at her and kind of smirking and she knows there was another time in the recent who that there was just an amazing moment it's when the 10th doctor and sarah jane see each other and there's that acknowledgement of her and he goes my sarah jane and it just gets you into tears, and it's amazing. This same thing happened here. Great, great moment. And then the dialogue and the setting up of the restaurant and the the singing towers um, is, is just awesome. I, I love the episode. I mean, not not a lot to discuss about it. It's not not a a, a groundbreaking plot. Very tenuous. Really has nothing to do with Christmas. Um, I do like the episodes to really actually have to do with Christmas sometimes. Those 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 are really good. But this is performance here, and and the supporting people. Matt Lucas is really fun. Uh, the gentleman that plays Ramon, uh, the actor who uh, plays Hydroflax, is really fun. Um, I was just laughing out loud the whole bit with him get my head out of here and going, We're being we're being threatened by head in a bag. You know. I, I, I just thought it was super. Um great episode, really kind of a Christmas present, and I would give it uh, four and a half out of five charges groans. Uh, utter delight. Utter delight. Um it was Greg Davis, uh very tall comic actor. Who's, oh um, yeah, okay. Young uh, ones, and then young ones. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, just, just, just so much fun. Okay, yeah. well, I'm uh, sure, I'm sure we we will hope that you can 
perhaps add something more when you've heard some other people's comments. It might just uh, click a few uh, right. more memories for you. But um, let me play a clip, and then we'll go to Rick. Ramon, just once, can you get the height right? Sorry, Professor. When I escape, I will bring terror to you and your family. There is no escape from the... I'm on it. The capsule is really close. <laughs> it's something funny. Who dares laugh at hide of that? You shall be crushed. You shall scream in fear. Let me out of this bar. This is a serious mission in the critical phase, but there is nothing to laugh about here. We're being threatened by a bank. Fire hand in a bag. I shall make dust of you. My enemies are meat for the devouring. <laughs> I can't approve of any of this, you know, but I haven't laughed in a long time. Well, good for you. Then die in agony and submit to my supremacy. Unzip this bag! <laughs> you know, don't you? Know what? Stop pretending. You know who I am. <laughs> who are you? You know who I am. It's 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 me. Great. Who are you? Ah. And uh, Rick, please. All right. Um. Yeah, I I liked it. I thought it was a good episode. Uh, like uh, Ken, I thought it was a little light on the Christmas uh, idea, but uh, then I remembered, and they kind of mentioned that. Uh, the dinner was on Christmas Eve or Christmas Day, I forget exactly, uh, you know, in in River's diary, uh, that they ate uh, by the singing towers, like I said, either Christmas Eve or Christmas Day, I forget. Um, so yeah. that was the Christmas uh, um, illusion. Uh, having said that, a uh, good episode. Um I, I Ken didn't mention when they uh, when uh, the doctor and uh, River were talking about all the people they married or knew or whatever. Um, mm. You know, like um, uh, I think uh, the doctor mentioned Stephen Fry, uh, Marilyn Monroe. Yeah, Marilyn Monroe, of course. Uh, uh, Queen, Queen Elizabeth. Elizabeth. Yeah. Um, so, uh, I thought that... Cleopatra. Scene, Cleopatra, yes. I thought that scene was, uh, um, uh, funny. Um, good, good stuff. Um... She even mentioned her second wife. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, um... I got a kick out of the uh, UFO because it, it looked to me like they had uh, Christmas lights around it. Um, well, I thought it was the that was the king's uh, personal transport. That right, but it, <laughs> if you noticed it, it looked like you know they were huge, but they looked like Christmas lights to me around it. Well, it's actually, funny you mentioned that because in the, in the opening credits as well, didn't they replace the planets with um, with um, Christmas tree decorations? I unfortunately missed the very opening because they had to do something. Uh, <laughs> uh, but um, and I only saw it once, um, so I'm not sure. Uh, other people might 
be able to answer. Well, the doctor, yeah, doctor was grumpy with his antlers done by the, the TARDIS. Yes. And he, he's going to criticize carolers. Yes. Uh, notes on the door, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Carols will, carols will be criticized, yeah. <laughs> I like that. Uh, um... Let's see. Um, I, I liked uh, uh, the the doctor insisting with the uh, to the rescue uh, person. Uh, you know, build a build a restaurant. You'll make a lot of money. The guy goes, "Yeah, but I need a lot of money to build it." And the doctor gives him the diamond and goes, "Here, build it." <laughs> uh, I thought that was cute. Um, but um, yeah, good episode. Um, 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 cute points. Uh, like Ken said, nothing really ground breaking or shattering, but a good solid, I thought episode. Uh, I would have liked a little more Christmas uh, emphasis, but um, yeah, good. I thought you were going to say I would have liked a little more cowbell there, but there you go. <laughs> that too. That too. Always, there's always room for cowbell. Yeah, I could have used a little more cowbell. <laughs> so uh, let me uh, thank you for that, Rick. I'll um, I'll play another clip. Just let me say at this point, um, uh, I already mentioned it's 16 minutes long. Uh, on first showing, the overnights were 5.77 million. Of course, it aired a lot earlier in the night. Um, uh, let me just ask these two guys before we move on. Um, did you think any of it was a little bit too? a bit near the bone for younger viewers because it went out, here, certainly here in the UK uh, before 6 I think it still went out on America late, but the, the the scene I'm thinking of is at the dining table where the payment is extracted from the chap's head uh, did you feel that was in place, I just that was just to gross out the kids I think the kids would love it maybe going you, I want you you know, it was like, oh god, it's disgusting. Um, but I, but kids love that type of thing. It didn't phase me much. And it was so over the top. Yeah. Kind of uh, a thing. It was it was just like fantasy yuckiness. Yeah. To use a, to use a term, I mean, it was just like, ew, god, they all get taking his head off and putting him back. You know, it was it was so absurd that it, it takes the kind of Violent or or, or um, uh, horrible aspect away from it, it makes it almost you know, it's like comical. Yeah, okay. yeah. It, it reminded me of the scene in um, um, the uh, original. I haven't seen the remake of uh, RoboCop, where uh, they're demonstrating the Ed Two O Threes. And uh, it goes berserk and kills the guy over and over and over again. Just shoots him up like nine billion times. Uh, you know, it, it was that over the top ridiculousness to me. So, okay, all right, thanks, guys. Um, uh, uh, if we can, I'll just play another. Oh, just before I did, yeah, I've given those. The AI rating, by the way, was eighty-two on this one. So um, not the highest, I think, uh, certainly not the highest of the evening. I think uh, the midwife one got to 88. But they've, uh, they've been around about 82, 83, uh, most of this uh, Series 9. 
Uh, I'll go to Darth next, if I may, but let me just play a clip. And uh, this is the bit I think that uh, Ken wanted to hear, so we'll play this little clip. Oh, before you come in, you better prepare yourself for a shock. It's not as snug as it looks. Finally. Finally. It's my go. God! Oh, it's bigger! Oh, yeah. On the inside. Look, we need to concentrate. There it is! Yep, I know where you're going with it, but I need you to calm down. On the outside? Oh, you certainly go out of the essential. My entire understanding of physical space has been transformed! Three-dimensional Euclidean geometry has been torn up for an air and snubbed to death by grasp of the universal constant self physical reality has been changed. Forever. Sorry. I've always wanted to see that done properly. <clears throat> and, and, of course, we find a, the proper use of a roundel. A drinks cabinet. <laughs> hmm? I love the music. I love the music in the background. It's great. Okay, good. Uh, Darth, if you're okay to go, please. Well, I think that we are either at or close to the nadir of the Christmas special. Um, and and that's because not necessarily of the story. I don't think the story is particularly any worse than some Christmas specials. Um, but rather, it's just because we're in a new era. You know, I think for nine years or whatever, Doctor Who has pretty much had the science fantasy slice of the population to itself. But from here on out, it's got to compete with Star Wars every single Christmas day. And even if kids are not actually in the theater on Christmas Day, which I think a lot of them will be, I think it's a natural gift to give to a kid to say, come on, we're going to see Star Wars in the theater on Christmas Day. Um, I think that their minds are going to be occupied, much as mine was this holiday period, with all the other stuff that you can get, with the you know, novelization with toys, with things that keep you in the Star Wars universe, even when you're not in a theater. And I think it's going to be really hard for people to um, continue to support this um, notion of the frivolous sort of romp. Because when you compare, as so many people must have done, uh, Doctor Who to Star Wars, <laughs> Star Wars wins. I mean, there's, there's not even any question. I mean, just just looking at things uh, without even absorbing the plot whatsoever, it really feels like we're back in 1977 where Doctor Who just looks like crap compared to Star Wars. Um, and I never thought we'd really be in that position again. I kind of thought, oh, well, you know, we've all grown up and it looks, you know... Sort of on a par, but man, this Christmas special <laughs> they didn't, uh, reusing whole sets I mean oh, it took me yeah. right out of, right out of it in the first fifteen God. minutes, saying, "Why are we back in you know uh whatever it is 
Trap Street, which itself is a rip-off of Nocturne Alley, uh, which itself is a rip-off of, you know, very standard uh, Charles Dickens, well, at least English, whatever, architectural yeah. fancy. Um, and I just was, like, so bored in the first 15 minutes. The other thing that struck me in the first 15 minutes was just I didn't think that they, the chemistry was there between these two actors. I felt, especially in the teaser, uh, I, I really thought that they were just not quite hitting the notes that the script seemed to call for. And I thought that Murray Gold music was insufferable in the first bit. Um, just way over the top, hitting you with, oh, we're now in a romantic comedy. Um, and and I thought that the whole romantic comedy thing that Ken spoke of, the whole you know Hepburn-Tracy thing that they were kind of going for, um, was done so much better in, you know, the first one that we had, which is um, The Runaway Bride, right? I mean, that's... David Tennant and... Uh, um, oh, Catherine Tate. Clearly much better suited to that sort of thing than this pairing. This pairing was a joke. Um, really hard to take them together, especially in the first bit where they are, you know, trying to, I don't know, drum up some lack of knowledge or you know where apparently what's her name river has forgotten who the hell the doctor is and doesn't even consider that it's just the whole notion that she believes for a second that it's 12 and done makes no sense i mean none because what did she do she gave away all of her regenerations so she knows that the count is malleable why would she stop at 12? It makes no sense. And not only that, why the hell has she got a war doctor in there? I mean, maybe we'll find, because they are both under contract, uh, sort of, to Big Finish. Maybe they will run into each other. Maybe there is a war doctor River Song thing coming up. But uh, on the face of it, nothing in her experience of the doctor would seem to indicate that she should know who the war doctor is and why that would be in a folder. It's just the the, the the episode rests upon the notion that somehow River doesn't know who the Doctor is, and it doesn't make any sense. Then you've got some other sort of insufferable elements. The biggest one, of course, is Greg Daniels, whom I hate. I mean, just in in general, I think that he's a horrible actor who could only have a career in Britain where the talent pool is smaller. No offense, Dave. But, like, in America, that dude could have no possible career. He's just not talented enough. Um, Matt Lucas was funny, but much like um, Bill He's Bailey. Matt Lucas. Matt Lucas. That's fine. Really He's Lucas. funny. Yeah. No, 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 that's fine. He's funny. Um, and, and there are two points of comparison there. One is sort of Bill Bailey and um, whatever that witch in the wardrobe one was. And, you know, just like Bill Bailey, I think he's underused. The other point of comparison is really um, with his sometimes acting partner, David Williams. And I think David Williams got the better deal on Doctor Who because Williams created a character that then created a species, which we saw come back this year. Um, 
and and so his legacy sort of lives on in Doctor Who, or at least lived on to this season. Matt Lucas, by comparison, though funny, um, sort of plays the same sort of character, which is uh, one that he does frequently himself in, in other venues. But this thing of, you know, the scared, frightened, supplicant kind of dude who, who will do whatever is necessary to avoid conflict. Um, that's kind of the same character, really, that David Williams did, but David Williams actually created something, whereas this feels much more like um, Matt Lucas doing sort of a star turn, more or less, and and, and not much more than a cameo, really. Um, so, kind of disappointing there. Um, it's a an episode of two halves in that uh, kind of in the reverse situation of the next doctor. The second half is better than the first half. Um, but, you know, the half you don't like is one you really don't like, just like next doctor. Um, good Lord. I mean, I, the, the more I think about the first 30 minutes of this thing, the angrier I become because it's just it's so... It's so jokey, and, and there's even a point at the end that, that actually is in the good half, I guess, where I was like, really? Stephen Moffat is going to be that on the nose with his script, where the doctor comes back and says, look, I know that was a terrible joke, but I just had to say it. I, I do better jokes or whatever. I, I'm not quoting that line exactly, but it's it's almost a fourth wall-breaking experience where you kind of feel, well, you yeah. Looks like you have put your energies into Sherlock for this Christmas season, not this thing. Um, I, I did, I did like the sort of, you know, restaurant at the end of the universe kind of place that we end up at the end. Um, there's some cool stuff that goes on there, um, and I think it's a little bit more focused and, and better, just because, you know, that's where the actors or the character, the main characters, are behaving more like themselves. I didn't really think that I was plugging into an episode where I was going to have to not have River be herself, like to be so obtuse that she's laughable. You know, I I still don't understand why she doesn't even recognize or consider that this is the Doctor. You know, he's being very obvious about it. He's saying, I am the Doctor all the time, and there's the TARDIS, and so why doesn't she at least consider the possibility? I don't know. I mean, I guess you could say she's not expecting it. I guess you can say she's so set in her ways that she believes that there really are only 12, but that, again, doesn't make any sense. That's where um, post-cross run out, wasn't it? Little, little right, because she believes that's... Yeah. Right, she believes that's it. Because um, she's counted properly, and there are 13, so, you know, what are you going to do? And her diary is getting full, so she thinks she's near the end as well. Uh, I suppose... Well, yeah, maybe that's a little bit better of an explanation, is that she believes that the diary is immutable, and if she hasn't run across this version of the Doctor before, then she doesn't admit that it's a possibility. Maybe. That helps me out a little bit, David, uh, and, I guess. But and it's, and it's, the thing that Rick said as well about the, the, the this put-off meeting, it was supposed to be the 11th Doctor that had a meal with her, I think. I think it was no. No, no, it, it never, it never <laughs> pointed out who it was. It, it, it was okay. just in the uh, diary, yeah. 
I think somebody put well, that on our Colton page. That's probably well, no, in, in, in that small extra on uh, season six, the intimation is that they're going to go there and that's going to be their last outing together and it's going to be with Eleven. Well, from this, no, Eleven didn't take her there. either. There's no implication that it's going to be with Eleven, though, because that comes from her original episode. That comes from the Tenth Doctor episode. It's something that she says to the Tenth Doctor. No, but there's then, no then there's that last the night. Mini-sode. Oh, the mini-sode. The mini-sode is, is what, what says that. That we're, we're going to go there now. He's at the end of that. that that's the thing. Mm. But, this, but this says no. Maybe. He doesn't take her. He's taking her now. So that yeah, but but I mean, this points back to the other thing that's problematic about the ending. Although it's it's well done and okay, it squares the circles on some things and you know gives her the sonic screwdriver that we finally see her see to have in in the library. Um, <clears throat> the references are to long ago and far away. I mean, and you know, if there's more that's coming in. I guess you're right. It may, be, you know, it may have to do with that, that DVD extra. But my God, I mean, that's ridiculous. For a Christmas episode to have that level of continuity heaviness in it, you know, talking about an episode that's from 2008. Oh, I don't, I don't think it, it's important really to reference that. But for those that are asking, does this violate it? That's the only thing. You don't have to know anything about that one to either I, like. I guess, like the, but. Uh, well, no, I think you do, though. I mean, in order to understand what the hell is going on, no, they, they you do have what it's about. That's going to be the last time we're together. And but to feel anything, we haven't but, gone there but, yet. No, no, no. But to feel anything, you have to actually remember all this and put it together. If it's just yeah. something that is said, it doesn't have any real impact. It's just like, oh, I'm now declaring that this is an important event that I have to, you know. Uh, signpost for some reason, uh, I, and so it's just coming out of nowhere. Really, yeah. I uh, thought that the actors showed the impact with, with their with their uh, feeling there. I think it, I think it was really good. Yeah, but yeah, I don't know. Uh, I, I I really don't know about that. I mean, I, I will grant you that it is more interesting once we get to that the ship, and we're. I mean, it kind of goes from. Super slapstick. Not romantic comedy. It's sort of slapstick. It's sort of just absurdism, really. Uh, to something that I guess approaches more like, uh, I don't know what the word would be, British absurdism. Uh, the the stuff of Douglas Adams. Something that, you know, is well, so, well, is, is, well, is well-controlled um, madness. But still... The episode amounts to nothing. To nothing, really. I mean, you, it, is, it is the most flimsy of, of Doctor Who episodes, and especially of Christmas specials. I mean, it has... Well, okay, maybe it's not as flimsy as... It's equally flimsy to the to the Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, whatever the hell that one is called, which I never remember. Um, but it it's just so... It doesn't matter. It's so insignificant, an episode. And the production design is so wobbly. Uh, the music, I mean, is, is openly it, laughable. It's just laughable. It's not, it is not conveying whimsy 
as it d- did in Runaway Bride. It is not conveying a sense of uh, syncopation as it does with um, the Runaway Bride. It just is saying, hey, this is something that you should not regard as particularly serious, uh, which is annoying to me. Um, like, seriously, you should, you should really go back and look at the opening scene of, well, almost opening scene of, the, uh, the immediate post-credit scene of Runaway Bride. Look at the music that Murigal was doing there that establishes, you know, something that sort of Tracy Hepburn or whatever that is, is saying, hey, this is sort of a screwball comedy. And then compare it to the music that's here and you'll be like, oh, yeah, this stuff is nothing. This is so trivial. Uh, this doesn't even sound like it's Murray Gold anymore. It's so bad. Uh, it's just cliche. It reminds me a lot of um, Town Called Mercy, which was just musical cliche after musical cliche and, and until you're just drawn out of the whole thing and you realize it's it's trying to do something way too hard. It's trying to imitate a particular genre so hard that it's just something you end up laughing at rather than laughing with. I got nothing for this thing. I, got, I, I seriously have nothing but rage, to be honest. It's it's so it's such a waste of Alex Kingston. It's such a waste of. I, I, I don't. There's no chemistry between these two actors. None. There's nothing there. I don't know where you're coming from. With oh, this is a great yeah, expression, sexuality, or whatever. It's, oh, it's terrible. Just terrible. These guys are like searching for some sort of rhythm for easily half of the thing. Like, really, the, the, the timing is so off in the teaser. It's so off. Uh, it's just... I agree with that uh, teaser part. I mean, I thought, a little, I, I thought a little speech in the restaurant worked, but uh, for it seemed to take a long time for her to, to, to find a place in the role. Oh, you could argue, of course, yeah. we're seeing River as a person that's not as enriched with the Doctor as we've seen before, because obviously in the very first one we see her, she's the one that knows all about the Doctor, and he knows nothing about her. Here well, we but are, this is hap- uh, this yeah. happening right before that, though. Or at least this is happening within 24 years of that, or whatever one yeah, right, night right. on this planet. This is the last adventure. Suppose. And then there's the other thing, too. is like the object of the entire thing is this diamond, right? right. Inside the dude's brain. Yeah. So, I, I'm not. How does the doctor get that diamond again? After she successfully, you know, <laughs> catches it, it with it, her breast. It, it drops. It drops out of her uh, bosom in the TARDIS on the floor. Ian was watching. Yeah, when she falls, I was watching. Watch that closely. In, indestructible. Yeah, indestructible. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, so what she comp- she, she has for. The length of this episode, plus some time before that, it's quite some time before that, where she poses as a nurse, you know, gets on his good side. Okay, it only takes a week, but somehow she had to become his nurse or whatever. She's been trying to get this thing forever, for a long time, and then she forgets about it? No, no, she's unconscious. It falls out. Well, no, no, but, but, but when she wakes up. When they're talking about it, I mean... Ah, right, right, right. I, I mean, I, I get that she is now, because she, when she lends on Derillium or whatever, and she realizes this is the last date, I realize that that becomes 
a a important thing that would have distracted her mind. Yeah, yeah. Well, so but, I have a diamond if you're dying, yeah. But that's that's not it, though. She believes she doesn't. He, uh, last night. It's only when she no, wait, wait, wait. She wanted to get the diamond away from him to get back to the people, and she the purchase is being made at the restaurant by the crazy ripping head off people. And then they turn out, that goes into utter chaos, and the robot body just demolishes the head, and she yeah, has it timed and she has it timed anyway because she knows that the meteor storm is going to wipe out the restaurant. Right now, I I get the plot. I'm just saying, yeah. why did why does she after she wakes up from the TARDIS floor, why does she no longer care about the diamond at all? Well, I suppose she, she's the realized about the lost planet, the singing tower. She also has found a new doctor she didn't know about, a thirteenth, yeah. you know. Right, so, but the, she doesn't, Priorities. as I understand the way, no, 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 but as I understand the way that her diary works, she doesn't at this point know what happens in Forest of the Damned or for no, library. No, no, she no. doesn't know she's going to die. She only knows that, or she only believes that, and I don't know the why this belief cold. happens. That, that whole line is crap. I, I was given a diary that had exactly the number of pages that the, the, the you know the person thought that I would need. So what? The doctor has calculated the size of her handwriting and knows exactly how many pages she's going to use. I mean, come on, come on. I mean, it's just it, it's a nifty little line, but it's one of those things that when you think about it for one second, it doesn't make any sense in the world. And that uh, I, I just don't know why she. I don't understand River's motivation in any of this. I mean, really, nothing that she says sounds like River. It doesn't feel like River. It, the, the, her whole set of actions here are just not the character that I actually like. And I mean, I guess that this is making me sound like I don't really like River that much. Uh, that's certainly not the case. I think that River is, or was, at least until this moment, Moffat's crowning glory. I mean, I think I, I really have enjoyed that character, but... It, in this episode, it seems like we have to suspend an awful lot of disbelief uh, in order to believe the character does what the character does. And that's just. Is this Moffitt doing what he's done before, though, where he's trying to tell a story that's trying to be appropriate for the slot, but he's, he's got, you know, 10 plot holes that he's got to fill from previous stories? Uh, he doesn't have to. He doesn't well, have to I mean, fill that. Ra- well, rounding off River's timeline. I, I guess, but the thing is, you know, the the outstanding thing that this um, does in that regard, I guess, is provides the sonic screwdriver, right? Yeah. Because the sonic screwdriver is pre-programmed so that the Tenth Doctor can get the signal, and it, you know, Tenth Doctor obviously didn't know where that signal was coming from, but apparently, it's a you know signal from the Twelfth Doctor, right? Um, that's the only thing it does. But my God, that's seven years ago. Who cares at this point? But, but it's Darth, so long ago. Darth, the doctor in the episode would agree with a lot of what you're saying. River is not acting like herself in the opening parts of the episode. He's wondering if he's just being strung along all this time. She's uh, acting totally uh, against aspects of character. And it's, it's kind of a ruse that she's doing the whole thing with the diamond for altruistic purposes. She's just saying that. Because 
aspects of her relationship with the doctor make her sad, so it's facade. So that kind of is peeled away by the end, the the kind of craziness and her acting, you know, all um, nonsensical. I, I I don't think at those points she actually knows that that's the doctor. I don't think yeah, that's, she's... Exactly. And that's I the problem. It makes no sense. It really doesn't. I mean, this is this is a woman who looks into the Tenth Doctor's eyes, whatever one would assume, not much more than 24 years from this point. She's like, oh, you look so young. Let me. Uh, let, I'll jump. Uh, jump one of the clips I've got and go to something that that covers this little bit. Okay. Your Majesty, I assure you, she is the perfect bait. When this woman is in danger, the Doctor will always come. Oh, you are a moron! No, he won't. He's probably already here. No, he isn't. Of course, he isn't. Possibly on this ship. Well, go on. Scan it then. Go on. Why don't you? River. Too hot. Stupid clothes. You can't miss him. River. Go on. Scan the whole parsec. He's not here. God knows where he is right now, but I promise you, he's doing whatever the hell he wants and not giving a damn about me. And I'm just fine with that. When you love the Doctor, it's like loving the stars themselves. You don't expect a sunset to admire you back. And if I happen to find myself in danger, let me tell you, the Doctor is not stupid enough or sentimental enough, and he is certainly not in love enough to find himself standing in it with me. switch with that. I thought she was good in that scene, Ken. No, uh, that but, I, I, but I did think she was a bit wooden at the beginning. Whether they filmed them in that order, I don't know. And whether that was the way she was told to do it. But uh, I don't think she then, at that point, until she, she after she said the words, she, she realised who it was. But I don't think as she was delivering the words, she knew no. that, that was the Doctor. Which, to me, makes It's the way you looked at it. <laughs> Okay, so now he's got magic coming out of his eyes. Um, I don't think, you know, why would she have, I don't know. (laughs) Why would she recognize the Tin Doctor? Well, I guess because she's got that accordion file. uh, I think when she said all those things, they build up and she realizes actually all those things mean that he actually must be here. And the most likely person is the man standing right next to her. Right, I mean, I, I, I get how that, you know, dramatically is supposed to work. I get what the, you know, script theory would be behind that. But it it, it's, it doesn't make any sense. And also, and also, like, I, you know, who the hell knows how she has a picture of the Tenth Doctor? Because the Tenth Doctor doesn't know her. So where's this picture coming from? You know, yeah, the other thing is, why has she only got one heartbeat? She doesn't have just one heartbeat. I think I'm I'm pretty sure it's script established that she's got two heartbeats like a time lord. Pretty sure. I could be wrong. But I think that's what isn't that what Madame Vastra finds out in uh, Good Man yeah, Comes not, to War? I'm not sure she always had two heartbeats. I remember that. I mean she how else does she regenerate if she doesn't have two heartbeats? I don't know. I mean I, I'm pretty sure that when like Dorian and uh, Vastra scanned her at one point right. in Good Man Goes to War. I'm pretty sure they say, oh, it's got two heartbeats. 
I don't know. But uh, it's just... I don't know. This thing kind of makes me mad, obviously. Um, I just, uh, it's just, it's so, it's so weird. And it's not what I thought it was going to, I mean, it is actually what I thought it was going to, I thought it was going to be pretty slapstick. I just didn't think it was going to be bad slapstick. I didn't think it was going to be, uh, you know, I thought they were trying to pitch it towards screwball. And it's really not in the screwball area, not, not good screwball, at least. Um, it's more just, just amalgam of jokes that even the writer doesn't have any confidence in. It's kind of weird. So, I don't know. Uh, there's no, I, I'm trying to think of... I mean, there are things that are funny. There are lines that are actually funny, I guess. Um, but... It, it Most of the comedy just feels really undeserved. Um... I think and, it was a 45-minute plot in a 60-minute time slot. I don't know. I mean, I don't want to go around with that's That's such a hard thing to mess with, because as soon as you start saying that, then you go back through every episode of Doctor Who, and you can say, well, this one isn't, you know, maybe this one was a 55-minute plot, maybe this one was a 47. Well, the last you know, two I thought were too long. I would have rather have had the 13 episodes, 45. I thought thought the, uh, the one in the... Um, uh, the Heaven Sent was too long, so it dragged a bit in the middle. And you could argue Maybe. the last one. That, you know, I think I think if the, all these last three had only been 45 minutes each, we could have had a 13th episode and still a Christmas special. Yeah, maybe. I don't know. I, I think I just would have preferred a much more straightforward story where, you know, for the entirety of the thing, they were behaving as the characters we... No, like they knew each other and they accidentally ran into each other um, and they went off and they had a very just sort of straightforward adventure where she was actually the companion for the whole thing. And, you know, you only get that for, you know, 15 minutes maybe. You know where there's no where that where they are on a caper and they and it, and it's actually pretty good that that 15 minutes where. Um, you know, you, you get the people whose heads are scissors yeah. Or, yeah. or zippered off or whatever, um, and then they sort of have to that, that that bit actually, you know, where they've got the the emperor in the in the his head in the uh, the bag, and then they realize that all these people around are supporters of that particular emperor. That's thing. pretty funny. That is actually really that's quite funny. That is actually quite funny. And the thing is, it doesn't really. From, that doesn't exactly. That's the one thing that is made better, I suppose, by the fact that River doesn't know the Doctor because it allows the Doctor to sort of surprisingly take over that scene and to you know do some fast talking and for her to match him, you know, so that you can see the natural sort of um, relationship that there is and has always been really between River and the Doctor of. These guys are thick as thieves, and they'll you know be in the middle of any kind of bad situation, and there you go. But even that scene is ruined by the fact that it's it's Moffat doing another trick that he's already done. I mean, it, it's straight out of what? It's straight out of, unfortunately, Capaldi's very first episode. Um, it's exactly the scene, more or less, of in Deep Breath, where he and Clara go into the cafe, and the cafe turns out to be populated all by those clockwork people. Clockwork droids, 
and they all turn around to them, and then they realize they're in danger. And it's exactly that same moment played again. Uh, it's played a little bit more for comedy, but it's the same gag, essentially. Oh, we had the Starship Titanic again, didn't we, as well? I mean, it's effectively, yeah, but now a much better version of better, that in a way. Of it, yeah. Kind of. I mean, you don't really spend too much time with it, uh, but it, it certainly the, one of the cooler creations out of this thing is that sort of butler robot, or not robot, yeah. but the uh, Mr. Whatever his name is. Yeah, but I mean, even that whole thing is like kind of horrible. You know, we we are a cruise line for genocidal maniacs, and we'll allow you to come on board. Really? So there's one single place that contains the universe's uh, most evil people, and law enforcement agencies can't find this thing. Really? Okay. I mean, the, when it, that's the problem with this thing is that I honestly think this is maybe the best episode of Doctor Who to view wild drunk that there's ever been made. There you go. And it is a part of the remit on Christmas Day. It really is. But if, you, if you're drunk, you're not going to think about any of this. You're just going to laugh. And you're going to be like, oh, okay, that's funny. There's a little blue dude. Awesome. You know? Uh, and that's, that is what it is. It's kind of one of the functions of a Christmas episode. But... You know, if you're watching it sober, if you're watching it after having spent much of the last week in some sort of literary criticism of science fantasy, you know, like Star Wars or whatever, uh, then your mind is going to start thinking, is already thinking about how stories are made, how they're crafted, how they're put together. And you start doing that with this thing and it just crumbles, just crumbles. Um, But it's funny in some parts, you know, as long as you don't care about the development of River Song, as long as you don't care about anything, even acting, as long as you don't care about acting. Because, you know, Peter Cavaldi is not on his best game here at all. Um, his smile is creepy as everything. It's very weird to see him smile. Don't like that. Um, anyway, it's a forgettable piece that, you know is a fun little entry if you've got a lot of friends and you want to bring them over and you want to get drunk and you want to look at something and it be something that you can talk through and not really care that much about, fine. Do this thing. Uh, but it is dangerously close to the silliness of season 24. Um, in the first part, both silliness, bad acting, bad music, um, first 15 minutes, totally unconvincing. And um, it, it doesn't, you know, if you're a real big River Song fan, I guess maybe you might see this thing as important. You might be able to say, oh, I know where she got the sonic screwdriver from now. I get what the reference to Derillium was and Singing Towers. Okay, I can check that off. But it's it's the weirdest, most joyless lump of stuff. You know, because it... it 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 tries to be funny and then it tries to do some fairly serious work at the end and it doesn't ever really do any of it terribly well. So certainly switches gears at that point, yeah. It oh yeah, it totally switches gears. And that can sometimes work, um but there's no track record of it working at Christmas. <laughs> I mean right. there's none. You know. And this certainly doesn't help that. Um, anytime. Yeah. In fact, if anything, a switch a gear switch on a Christmas episode is is universally uh, 
a bad sign. You know, going all the way back to Feast of Stephen in 65, you know, William Hartnell suddenly switches gears and pops out of a Dalek and says, Merry Christmas or whatever. Um, yeah, that's not good. Um, I don't know. It is what it is, but it's not very good. It's not very Christmassy. And um, I, 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 I honestly do think that this is the beginning of the end for Christmas specials for Doctor Who. I mean, I do. I really think it's like, uh, these things aren't working. I mean, the unfortunate thing is it's kind of okay in the ratings. Kind of. I mean, it, it certainly is not a chart topper. Um, but, you know, it'll probably end up in the top three, maybe. Um, but, I mean, it's at seven now. And a complete and there's, there's, switch of audience time. And it went to, in the UK anyway, went out to about 5.25. <laughs> Yeah. Much, much earlier than normally. Yeah, and to get that many viewers, you know, for that um, is pretty good. And, you know, the only other thing that was competing against was Home Alone 2, I guess, or something like that. I mean, a rerun of an inferior movie. So it naturally won its slot. Um, But it's interesting this year because this year, you know, really does show us just a, a broader point about UK broadcasting does show us that really nobody's watching TV these days in the same way that they used to. I mean, for the number one show to just be 6.5 million, and this thing's only, you know, 5.6 or whatever, 5.7, almost 5.8. Um, you know, when we think back to Voyage of the Damned, and Voyage of the Damned was 14, right? And and uh, End of Time Part 1 was whatever it was, over 10. Um, and I think even A Christmas Carol was over 10, you know, at the top of the decade. And now we're looking at, you know, it almost being number one, really. I mean, I think you'd have to say if number one is 6.5 and this thing is 5.8, it's almost there. It's not like it got killed in the ratings by the number one thing. Um, so things are just changing in the UK and I just, I don't know. I mean, it's great that it is in the top 10. That's, I think that's the first time it's been in the top 10 the whole year, right? I'm pretty sure. Yeah, it's been just creeping into the top 20. Right. If it got lucky, most of the time it wasn't getting that lucky. Um, so it's, you have to give it that. You have to at least say that Doctor Who ended on a high note in terms of ratings. And you also kind of have to say this sort of proves Moffat's point that he's been trying to make all year that Doctor Who was going out too late and that if you make it go out, you know, at 5.15, it, that might be too early for some people, but it, it definitely improves the ratings and makes it, you know, a top 10 venture. Well, but of course, this isn't top ten for the week, though. This is top ten for just today or for Christmas Day. Um, but still, it's I, I, it could well end as the highest-rated Doctor Who episode of the year, which is interesting. Uh, yeah, you know, the, but the official figures will well, it says here nine days time from when this was posted, right. but um, it was number seven uh, out of the top twenty. Down to yeah, was number one, which goes up which the final sense. episode. Yeah, yeah, but a very muted, you know. I and and I think this is a part of my broader point is, you know, yes, the whole year has kind of been this soft for television in 
uh, the UK. But still, I think these numbers are a big drop-off from last Christmas, even. And I think that the reason is Star Wars, period. I think people... You know, if you're going to get $100 million in sales out of the UK, <laughs> um, I think that some people are going on the Christmas Day, and they're enjoying it on Christmas Day, and they're not, you know, doing the 515. Or, you know, one of the clever things about the 515 scheduling is um, that allows families, you know, to, to watch the Doctor Who. They're out of it by 615. They can still make the 7 o'clock showing. So they can give their kids Doctor Who and Star Wars on the same day, you know. So it's kind of clever in that way. But I, yeah. overall, overall, there just aren't enough people here, you know, watching Christmas Day anymore. Like they, I mean, seriously, if we went back and we looked at last year's figures, I know they weren't as low as this. I know that they were like at least in the nines or something like that. Um, and it's just it's fascinating now what the impact of having a really good film, which let's not forget, is British made. Right, I mean, Star Wars is a British franchise, effectively. Um, so I, I would imagine that at least, you know, some part of the population of Britain is going to Star Wars because it's made in Britain. It has two British heroes, um, and really sort of more than that, but two main British heroes now. So in a sense, it's almost a patriotic movie to go and see. In a sense. It's red, and you know, its registration is in the UK. In Disney's arm in the UK, its registration is not in the United States. So, All right. Uh, I just say with the, the the viewing figures, the top twenty nine of those are BBC One programs. So, uh, people are. Mm. Uh, uh, I think the other thing is all the adverts. People are probably time shifting things like that. Uh, I mean, uh, mm. uh, many people like me were probably away at family, so I I time shifted about seven things, and. Uh, I haven't yet watched all of them, so... Yeah, yeah. That's true. Anyway, enough for me. Right, yeah. Cheers, thank you for that. Um, I'll, I'll go mm-hmm. next. I'll play a clip, and then uh, I'll go next. Um, I'm hoping if there's anything that needs reading out from text, Ian will do that at some point before he goes, and I'll try and pick up a few things from the Cook Collective page, but let me also, just... Also, Dave, play... uh, Dr. Yeah. Gonzo is here on audio. Oh, excellent. Okay. Um... Well, Dr. Gonzo, would you like to just put in text if you're up for speaking next? I'm going to play a one-minute clip. You've got one minute to wave your hat in the air, your antlers. Here we are at last. Sir? You know what? We should build a restaurant right here with a view of those towers. Make a lot of money that way. You should do that. (laughs) You need a lot of money to begin with, sir. The Halassi Andrevar. I think you'll find that the reward is pretty substantial. Uh, Why would you give me this, sir? Restaurant. Um, I'd like a table on the balcony with a view of the towers. I'm sorry, sir. The first available slot I have is Christmas Day in four years' time. Not a problem. Okay, um, thank you for pointing that out. Uh, Dr. Gonzo, great that you've come on audio. Um, 
Do you want to give us a quick, uh, well, it doesn't have to be quick, but uh, your thoughts on the episode? Yeah, it's, uh, uh, actually, I wanted to say um, I, I've really been uh, enjoying the show. I have been able to catch a lot of shows. I've been traveling, uh, spent quite a bit of time in New Mexico and didn't have internet there, uh, so I couldn't listen. Um, quick uh, quick uh, run over on the, uh, the the episode. I It was fun. Um, I, I enjoyed it quite a bit, nowhere near my favorite episode. Um, I, I don't know uh, where the, the earlier portion where it seemed that they were off. I, I just think it was it was really good at portraying the awkwardness of uh, one party knowing who the other was, and she just had no recognition. Um, uh, to, to Ken's point, uh, worrying about competition with Star Wars, it's 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 kind of interesting to to try to compare this episode to a uh, multi-billion dollar movie, but um, um, I'm going to continue to watch. So I, I, I'd say I'd give it a three and a half. Uh, again, not my favorite for sure, um, but there was definitely a lot of fun in there and to sit with the family and watch it, you know, it, it, it probably could have been a bit rougher, um, but I, I think the BBC knows their audience on Christmas. So um, I not the worst Christmas episode we've had. What's your general overall thought of Series 9? I, I really enjoyed Series 9. I have to say, um, with, with the exception of maybe some extended time in the last three episodes, uh, you know, from Raven to uh, Hellbent, I, I, I really think I haven't been as into uh, Who as, as those last three episodes. I think they were very well done. And, um, you know, the, the fact that the Christmas episode comes after and kind of caps off the season, um, th- this this episode, I, I think, pales in comparison greatly to the rest of the season. The season was great. Okay, excellent. Uh, anything more you want to add before we thank no, you? No, I'm good. Thank you, thank you very much, and I hope you guys have a happy new year. Thank you very much for that. Good to have you on audio, and uh, join thank us you. whenever you can. Okay. I've just noticed Ian's dropped out of the room. Hopefully he's going to get back in. He's still on audio, of course. Um, Let me play another Uh clip. You're not showing us in the room. Yeah. Not on mine, anyway. Uh, Probably because you haven't posted anything in chat for a while. So let me just play uh, another clip, and then I'll go. And uh, if Ian's possibly sorted, uh, we'll uh, see if he can go after that. Here we go. So, Ramon... I have a metal body now. Down, girl. Now that, my dear, is a suit. Happy Christmas. Really? I don't think you've ever given me a present before. It's a sonic screwdriver. How lovely. When I saw the sonic trial, I thought it was just embarrassing. <laughs> You look, uh, amazing. Doctor, you have no idea whether I look amazing or not. Well, you've, you've moved your hair about, haven't you? Well done. It's very sweet of you to try. <laughs> so what do you think? The singing towers. Okay, um, well, let me uh, say, we're going to go with Ian last, because I think he, he, he enjoyed it more than me. Uh, I'm not quite so... Uh, and, um, yeah, I'm 
take that on board, Ian. I'll uh, just uh, take that into account. Um, uh, I didn't really like it as a Christmas episode because it did all all my fears. That um, I always think that uh, what what few friends I've got left, I always like to think, should I say to them, oh, you don't watch Doctor Who very much. Catch the Christmas episode, you'll love it. I never do that now. I never say to anybody, oh, you ought to catch Doctor Who, watch the Christmas episode, because I don't want the Christmas episode to be their first experience. First of all, because it's untypical. Secondly, because the, the um, they usually have these sort of uh, exaggerated plots, often funny, very poor use of comics in the past. And although I would say that they're not great actors, these two main comics, <laughs> they certainly gave better value than Bill Bailey gave in his little um, cameo, underused cameo, uh, back in that one that... Um, Darth can't remember the, the, the widow, the wardrobe and the the cauliflower or whatever it was. I mean, it was, um, <coughs> excuse me. Uh, so what did I think? I, I didn't like all the cylinders at the beginning. I couldn't understand why we had this uh, village. I was like Darth, very upset that they'd used the same street, just dressed it up with paper snow. Uh, I couldn't understand why that had happened. Obviously, it's a budget reason, but it, it threw me completely out of the story. Not too sure why uh, the uh, the the man was dressed as a you know a twentieth century, not even a twenty first century, twentieth century carol singer when we're in this fifty fourth century. Uh, it just did seem a little bit ambiguous. Unless all they needed to put was that this was a theme park. If they had lots of little spaceships around and they were coming, and um, I think that would have worked. But um, for the first thirty five forty minutes. Um, I was cringing somewhat because I'm thinking, gosh, if some of my friends who are who think, oh, Dave's always going on about Doctor Who, we ought to watch it. Uh, I could see meeting them the next day and saying, well, that's a load of rubbish. Well, yeah, well, well, if you watch rubbish like that, all of you were around. Uh, I, I didn't like it. Um, I agree. I thought that um, River Song seemed to take a while to get into the park. Uh, I don't know how this was filmed, whether they were filmed in in the standard order. That's not usually how it's done. But she definitely seemed ill at ease. Whether that was how the direction was given, I don't know. But uh, she seemed very stilted at the beginning in the first meeting. Uh, and overall, I, 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 it's, it's confirmed to me that uh, I'm not a Christmas fan. I, 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 I think there's only two or three. I think the... Um, was Day of the Doctor a Christmas one, Ian? I can't remember whether that was on a Christmas day, but I mean, that was about the most enjoyable one that I have. I Really, it's it's wasted on me. Uh, it also throws up this very big change in time. The fact that it was um, you know, shown at what was a more suitable time after we'd been going out as late as 8.25 uh, on sometimes. We had uh, a little thing that pointed out, didn't we? The fact that... Um, River Song often sneaks away with the TARDIS and returns it. Uh, I don't know whether that was uh, trying to uh, cover up this idea that's been said before about you know who's who's driving the TARDIS uh, mm. and going all the way to um, you know that particular aspect of it. I, I I don't really know. But then, as soon as we actually arrived on this um, this interstellar ship on its um, uh, Voyage of the Seven Galaxies. This was their second one going to Andromeda, or the fifth one going to Andromeda. 
it certainly perked up. Uh, there were some interesting little um, cameos there. The um, Fleming, I think it was the man who's, uh, you know, how's your wife? Oh, uh, how are your children? Oh, they're still ingesting their mother. Um, I suppose that that worked rather well. And the Kathy scene, although it did indeed throw us throw me back somewhat to the clockwork people. Um, the awkward scene, I, I never like awkward scenes because I always feel awkward in them. But um, it did work out rather well when they suddenly turned what could be a difficult situation where they suddenly realised, or the doctor realised, that the head of their king, uh, they could embarrass them, because they said they were all effusive about it, into bidding for that even more for the diamond, uh, for them to make their escape. I did like that speech of River Songs. I thought that worked out really well, and I think that encompassed some of the companions' past feeling, different companions' past feeling, that the doctor is, um, you know... Um, you may love it, but you don't expect uh, the love back. A um, bit of idol worship, I would think, in many cases. So, um, I don't know. I, I definitely would have preferred to go back to having... Well, I, I would have preferred a 13 episode. Uh, I really would. Or I would like, and I do like uh, Darth's suggestion, if they'd gone and, and done a completely one-off, you know, out of out of the normal time run, of the 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 doctor uh, and had them on the honeymoon well not on the honeymoon but you know what i mean some doctor and river song experience but um i think uh stephen moffat was also trying to do two things at once Ent entertain the children and and fill in a few uh gaps in the uh, river song story um ian if I play the next clip, will you go next and then I'll read some bits out? I know you may not be able to do so. Right. So. Yeah, I've lost all my text. I don't know why I got bumped out of the room. Probably because you didn't post anything in, what, in during about 40 minutes. Anyway, here's the clip. <laughs> You've got just over a minute to think of all those clever things. <laughs> They've been there for millions of years. Through storms, floods, wars, time Nobody really understands where the music comes from. It's probably something to do with the precise positions, the distance between both towers. Even the locals aren't sure. All anyone will ever tell you is that when the wind stands fair and the night is perfect, when you least expect it, but always when you need it the most. There. I think a theremin would have been uh, the right instrument to have brought in there for those uh, singing stones. But uh, Ian, to you. 
All right. Well, the more and more I've listened to this show, the more and more I've actually come in tune with with uh, <laughs> with Dave. I think. Uh, yeah, there were definitely bits that worked and bits that didn't. Uh, the the impression I got of of this version of River Song was a much earlier version, um, not the kind of end of the life, very kind of assured of herself, very kind of because uh, in um, Forest of the Dead and and uh, Silence in the Library, we got this very kind of mature acting River Song, um, and I didn't get that impression from from seeing her here. I don't know how much time is supposed to pass in between those two, um, but I just didn't get the impression that that was the River Song that we were seeing in this one. It seemed like a much much earlier on one where she was a little more footloose and fancy free. Um, you know, um, the the kind of one that was always getting into trouble and and being thrown in jail. Um, that aside, uh, you know, the guest stars were, I guess, better used than than uh, like I said, better used than than Bill Bailey. Poor Bill Bailey, it's just a shocking use of a guest star. Um, not my favorite of Christmas episodes, aside from the very very end. Um. Yeah, once once we got on the ship, things kind of kicked off, and were a lot more enjoyable. Uh, uh, they could have, I think, they could have gone with, you know, getting on, you know, being on the ship from the get go. Um, made that the meeting place rather than this this excuse to reuse the uh, the the trap street, uh, which grated on me as well. As soon as I saw it, I said, "That's just the trap street being reused." Um, you know, I can imagine reusing something uh, the next season or you know a couple of seasons later, but uh, you know within you know what four episodes we get the same exact set being reused. Just uh, it just doesn't really um, this doesn't really look good. It just you know says oh we don't really have the money to spend on this episode, so we're reusing a, a, a pre-existing set. Um. Yeah, not a whole lot to say on this. I've only watched it once, so I haven't had time to like really digest it. Dave's, Dave's at least seen it twice because um, that's how he gets his clips. Um, but definitely not my favorite of of, of the Christmas episodes that, that we've had. I, I'm generally in favor of a Christmas episode because I don't expect. It sounds bad to say great things from it, but there's a certain expectation I have going into a Christmas episode that's going to be a bit of a laugh, a bit of a lark, you know, a bit of a bit of a romp, um, and that's what you get. You know, you get a bit of a romp, and this was somewhat of a romp. Uh, there were there were some good funny lines, and it's uh, I I did really expect River Song to twig that that was the Doctor when he did the overtop. Oh, it's bigger on the inside than it is on the outside. I I thought at that point she was going to turn around. And she goes, "I don't know how it can be, but it's you." You know that would have been an appropriate time. I mean, the the reveal itself was done really, really well, um, but I just thought it dragged on too long that that she didn't realize after seeing so many incarnations of the Doctor that she didn't realize that this, you know, could possibly be the doctor. It just seemed too out of out of character for Riversong, you know, that she would have guessed that this is who it was. I mean I know that she knows who the tenth doctor is 
and even if she didn't know, she invites him to the library anyway, so it's kind of a process of elimination when he shows up, you know, funny suit, the TARDIS is there, you know, um, must be the doctor. But, you know, on this one, the TARDIS is there, and there's no sign of him, doesn't she, you know, uh, that just irritates me, I guess, that, that the realization doesn't happen when he way over to, overdoes that, that bit the TARDIS. It was funny, um, but I really think she should have twigged at that point that that was him. Uh, like the very, the, the very, very end. Um, from a fan perspective, you know, um, I'm not entirely sure how the rest of the audience would have, you know, appreciated it. Uh, like Darth was saying, it's an awfully long time to wait for this kind of a wrap-up. Um, but it does. It, it did make sense having the Sonic Trowel in, which did seem to be a very, very stupid thing to have. And he, you know, says, well, have a Sonic Screwdriver instead. Um, the Trowel does make sense for an archaeologist, so... Uh, what else was I going to say? I don't know. I've lost you liked her outfit? Of, uh, you like River Song's outfit? Oh, I love, I love River Song's outfit, yes. Yes, very much so. I love the second outfit. Very nice. <laughs> <laughs> oh, to be that gem. <clears throat> um, but yeah, if, if anybody's got any ratings, uh, especially those of you in the text chat, if you wouldn't mind putting them in the text chat now before we wrap up here. Um, I'm, trying to, I'm still trying to <laughs> figure out what I, what I was going to say next. Um like the whole idea about the, the, the restaurant being built there because the Doctor wanted it built there. and um, Although it um, doesn't make... There's the dog. <laughs> the dog liked it too. Yes. Um doesn't really make sense that a night on the, this planet is 24 years. There's a restaurant that's set up to view these towers and listen to these towers, which will be completely obscured by dark for 24 years. That one occurred to me as, as we listened to the, the last clip there. Um, you know, how are you supposed to see these towers? I mean, you can hear them, I suppose, so that works. Um Unless the night starts at, uh, with a with a very 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 long sunset, you know, of about you know. We could light them up like they do these uh, memorials, don't you? Like you put true. throw lights on towers and churches and. Very true. Yeah, that is possible. I would have thought of that if I built a restaurant there. I guess. But a bit like, like a win. If you if you remember Winamp, you know, you have your little dancing lights as the music plays. Yeah. There you go. <laughs> Oh dear. So yeah, I think that'll wrap it up for me. Um, probably a three out of five. I know Dave was hoping for me to finish on a, on a really strong high point, um, but uh, unfortunately I've been talked down from the ledge. <laughs> <laughs> oh dear. All okay. right. Uh, yeah. yeah, well, there's not a lot to read out. Uh, I'll read any ratings in a minute. There's not a lot to read out because uh, mainly Dr. Gonzo actually did come on and have his chance to say a few things. Just let me read from our Cult Collective page a few bits, uh, but just teasers, really, for you to go and ask to join us. Um, uh, Colin Hicks, well, this was a very good romp, four out of five. 
arguably ended 10 minutes before it ended. So obviously for that end, the bit at the end was a little bit overdrawn out. David Gallagher, it was the last 10 minutes, but the only ones I thought were anything worth caring about. So completely opposite. Uh, Jeff Waddle, I'd scored a three, but I liked the last 10 minutes. Yes, it was a romp, and it's all been seen before, which is my main pr- uh, problem with this era as it goes on. But funny enough to make bits better than the last three Christmas servings. Felt the chemistry between the Doctor and River in one episode. So it felt more chemistry between the Doctor and River in one episode than what I ever did between him and uh, Clara in the whole of her run. Um, uh, Craig, um, I was cringing at the start, as I do with most Christmas specials. I, I agree with you, uh, Craig. I still believe wholeheartedly that the audience preferred drama to break the monotony of Christmas and as an escape. But in saying that, it got better as it went on. Uh, and then he has a little longer speech about uh, the revelations in it. Um, uh, David Gallagher, Moffitt's uh, addressed, uh, oh, this was uh, things that you need to go and read because there are like 10 different comments on it. Um, let me have a look. Yeah, I think a lot of those are interrelated comments, so it would be difficult for me to pick uh, anyone up. Uh, and Kenneth of their comments as well a couple of times. So I think I will direct people. And that thing we were talking about before is um, this, um, the Night of the Doctor, the last Night of the Doctor. If you go to the Wikipedia, tardis.wiki.com.wiki last underscore night TV story. Uh, a little bit more about this uh, supposedly different endings to their last meeting together. And of course, you can argue again, Ian, it was a little bit of a cop out, say that it's 24 years, right? a little bit like they copped out with uh, the death of Clara. In other words, you know, right. she may have 24 years before she goes back to Gallifrey. Right. Let me have a look at some comment uh, ratings. Uh, well, that's Ken Barman, four out of five. Cybob, uh, it was great fun to watch, enjoyed it, give it a four out of five. Guess five. Uh, S oh SW was poor. Uh, Doctor Who was even worse. All right. Hopefully it'd be Sherlock to the rescue. And Luther. Don't forget Luther. Oh, that's not sci-fi, I suppose. Um, uh, my Sherlock. rating. I don't know what to give my rating. I suppose I ought to give three out of five. Uh, it was like two out of five, and then the last bit was three and a half. Uh, so I'll give it three out of five. I'll be generous. But all in all, um, you know, I think we was robbed of a 13th episode in Series 9. There you go. So that's about it, Ian. Now, if you um, have been noticing on the collective page, we had scheduled a show for next Saturday, but that was really a a backup provision for this one. So uh, please uh, check our Twitter. uh, That's them on Twitter. Uh, Check our posts on the collective whether we have a 2015 wrap-up, uh, whether Ian and myself, uh, Ian's got uh, you know four weeks of washing to do at the household. <laughs> we we yes, may just be away for a while, but there will be at least one more commentary coming to you, maybe in a week rather than uh, in the next couple of days. Ian, any more to add? No, that's about it. Um, yeah, thank you all for joining us this year. And of course, we will show you, uh, we shall all see you in the very new year. 
and uh, hopefully you will join us for more shows then. That about wrapping up then, Dave? Yeah, I think you can play the outro in a minute. All right. Well, I hope you all have a good new year, and uh, we'll see you on the other side. Uh, until then, it's goodbye from Mr. Dave AC. And it's goodbye from Ian, the sixth doctor. Goodbye, everybody. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.